This is the Workin' With series, presented by your host, Hayley Sudbury. Listen in each month to find out who we're working with. Hayley sits down with some of the world's most exciting leaders and entrepreneurs to chat about the companies they love, their definition of success, and the real secret behind it all, their superpower. So I'm in the offices of Lloyds of London today with the CEO, Inga Beale. Inga, it's fabulous to meet you. Great to meet you. I guess Inga really came on our radar at Workin when she took the, the number one spot on the outstanding FT list of LGBT leaders, which was certainly an inspiration for me at the time as an entrepreneur trying to work out how I was going to position myself as an LGBT leader as well. So always fabulous to see women at the top. So thank you, Inga. I guess we'll really get straight into it today. As one of the few women CEOs in financial services, have you seen any positive actions or policies come from the recent gender pay gap reporting in the UK? Yeah, well, this, of course, shook up quite a few firms and uncovered some slightly dodgy practices, I would say, that need to be challenged about even reporting the data in the first place. So we have actually seen a change in that. And this is going quite detailed, but I think it's very relevant in sort of business today and, and whether businesses can get the trust of anybody. The requirement to report was for firms that have more than 250 employees. So what we saw happening was that some firms were splitting up and setting up subsidiaries with less than 250 people in so that they didn't have to report. Also, there was a get out for firms that had partners saying that the partners were to be treated as owners and therefore they could be excluded from the stats. And these were two things that were called out while the reporting was going on. And I was pleased to say that some of the law firms and some of the big consulting firms said, hey, we know that we excluded our partners, but actually the right thing to do is include our partners now. So some of the firms have actually got with the program, if you like, to actually report data, and I think in a nice, open, transparent way. So that's one of the things that this whole reporting uncovered, and we've already seen a few changes in practices there. The other thing is very few people were proud of their data. Lloyds, Lloyds of London, our data, our gender pay gap, 27.7%. And as a female CEO heading that organization up, that doesn't feel good and I'm not proud of it. So we've put in place some, some policies and some practices that we hope will change things. And I know that many other firms in financial services anyway are doing this. One of the key things that came out from a government piece of work was the Women in Financial Services Charter two years ago. We signed up as Lloyd's, one of the early ones to sign up, and many, many, many firms have now signed up. And the important thing about that is that you're committing to improving the number of senior women in your organization. And importantly, if you don't achieve certain targets, your senior executives bonus will be affected by it. So that's making it real. And I know that many firms have done that. They've put in targets, they've put in objectives, and they're expecting their executive to meet those. So that's one thing about improving the seniority of women. We've also got other practices that people are putting in place, such as more flexible working environments, because very, very often it's the woman who might use or need to use part-time flexibility. They might have caring responsibilities that they need to attend to, and so often that falls more on the women. So we're encouraging firms to do more of that and have a very flexible approach to that, looking at things like equal shared parental leave, 
Basically, anything that brings balance and equality into policies and practices, that's what we're really looking for. And it does feel to me as though there's some traction now. Fantastic. And money talks. Money definitely talks. Having previously been involved in financial services. So what didn't you know when you started out on your career path? And how would you do things differently now? When I started out, I wasn't actually thinking about my career. I really wasn't. I I happened to start off in insurance. I was um, very keen on mathematics when I was at school. So numbers, you know, they're very logical to me. I feel very comfortable with numbers. So therefore, it was, you know, quite sort of normal perhaps to go into a sector that uses a lot of actuarial science, that uses a lot of data and numbers to work out, you know, what business to write, how much to price business, etc. But I didn't really think about a career. I was just working. I was doing so much sport at the time. All I needed to do was to come to work and be able to leave at five to get down to the river to do my rowing practice. So I didn't start out with this massive career in mind. and I I wasn't ambitious at all. But then opportunities came along and I thought, oh, this is quite interesting. And I started to take opportunities. But it took me a while to have the courage to do that. So if I think back over, you know, and I think of my younger Inga, that rather timid, tentative soul who actually said no to her first promotion. I can hardly recognize that person. But now, if there's anything I can do to encourage particularly women, because I think this is a slightly gender-biased topic, in that more women than men lack confidence, I found, and anything I can now do to spur the younger women on to put their hand up, be confident and go for those roles and take on those opportunities. That, you know, that, that's what I'll do. I'll do as much as I can to encourage them because looking back, I was a bit too timid. And why did you turn down that first promotion? I was too scared. I was working for a guy. He was going to be moved off sideways. I was going to be moved up and therefore be at the same level as him. I was worried about how he would react to that. I felt I didn't have enough experience to do the job. I'd never been a people manager before, so this was a big step up for me managing people for the first time. So I just said no. I just didn't. I just lacked confidence. Wow. You're clearly not lacking that now. Not now. I did go on an assertiveness for women course, though. (laughs) I'm not sure they exist these days, but uh, this was in the 90s. And I decided I needed to do something about my lack of confidence. and And there was a special course designed for women. I spent a week on it with some other women and came away thinking I could take on the world. Wow. So what would you be doing now if you weren't running Lloyd's? I might well be in another sector completely. Some people are lucky enough, I suppose, to work in sectors where they're passionate about something. I am and was incredibly sporty. So my guess is if I wasn't in insurance per se, I would probably be doing something in the sports world because that is a passion of mine. And I I was doing a lot of sport when I was younger. So who was it that championed you along the way? I had a couple of mentors. I think now you know, as as usual, we're getting so much more sophisticated with how we think about mentoring, sponsoring, coaching, you know, and you could read um, endless articles and probably books on the topic. But very simply for me, I had two people, very different people who helped me. One was a guy that I've, I've known for well over 30 years. And he had that confidence that I didn't have. And I would always reach out to him when something tricky came along or I had to make a a decision about perhaps a new job or a new opportunity. 
because I could trust him completely. And he was a senior person in the insurance sector that I knew I could trust and I could talk about anything, however confidential it was, and it wouldn't go any further because he was a real trusted friend. So he was somebody I would frequently reach out to and have discussions about difficult decisions. Another mentor that I had was a female, and she actually worked in the same company as I did. And I suppose she was the closest to be being described at the time as a sponsor, so that she actually helped me make decisions and take career steps in the company that I was working in. And so she would make sure my name was on lists. She would uh, put my name forward. She was a great reference for me. I was able to reach out to her and use her influence to help me progress my career in that firm. You've spoken a lot about the importance of bringing oneself to work. What does that really mean to you? For many, many years, I was a, a woman in the financial district of London, in the city of London, thinking, you know, I was heterosexual and trying to, as a young woman, find her place in a, in a very male-dominated environment. And that was a huge challenge for me. There were very, very, very few female role models. And I behaved like a man, if you like, because I wanted to belong. I wanted to be part of the club. I wanted to be in the in crowd. So I found myself behaving like a man. Now, fast forward a little bit. I then had my first relationship with a woman. And I wasn't expecting it you know, wasn't planning it. But now suddenly I was a lesbian and I was in the closet and I wasn't out at work. When I look back, I I find that, you know, it was a, probably a slightly silly decision of mine not to come out, but I didn't have the courage to come out. I was too scared of perhaps the reaction from work colleagues, perhaps negative repercussions for my professional life. So I stayed in the closet for many, many years. Then in 2008, I was being offered a new job. I was moving to a new company. And I realized that for years, my partner was being affected because I never talked about my female partner at work. And therefore, we were never included in perhaps activities together because I was living a sort of secret life. You know, the the topics of conversation at work were different because I, I pretended somehow about my private life. And I said, this isn't fair. This isn't fair on me. And it's not fair, absolutely not fair on my partner. And when I first got together with her, we didn't even have mobile phones. So the only way she could contact me was to phone the switchboard operator at work. And I said, you can't do that because I I don't want to raise any suspicion. So it was, you know, when I look back and I think what we went through, that that was silly. So in 2008, I said, enough is enough. And I came out. And that was a wonderful feeling. And I just felt, you know, really you suddenly could relax and you didn't have to worry about the language, the vocabulary that you used. You could be totally yourself. And from then on, I thought, we need role models. I need to be a role model to encourage others because I saw the power it had on me or the power it gave me at work. And I felt that I was much more productive. And I know we've got lots of statistics about it now, but I felt it for myself. Then go forward a few years, I separated from my uh, long-term female partner and got into a relationship with a man who I'm now married to. So now I'm labeled as bisexual. So you never know what happens in life. 
But for me, it's still important to to be that role model so that to encourage others to be yourself at work because I see what it does and how it can inhibit you and affect your enjoyment and your feeling of inclusion or exclusion at work. Well, it must have been exhausting having to hide. It is exhausting and you don't realise until you've come out and you realise, wow, nothing bad is actually going to happen to me. It just took a bit of courage and you just feel so much better. Freedom and the truth. Mm. If I came to work for you tomorrow, what would be the first thing I'd notice about the way you did things with your team? Always being as inclusive as possible. Asking everyone to be involved as much as possible because as businesses, we all need to transform. So therefore, as leadership teams, we need to be constantly looking out for the next challenge, the next threat, to try and keep ahead of it. And the only way people can be really successful in leading big organizations or small organizations is to keep on top of those challenges and to keep modernizing and moving forward. And the only way to do that is to have those diverse thoughts and those diverse ideas and those people around the table and including them in that journey with you. Otherwise, I do not believe as a business you can be sustainably successful. So I always want to include my people as the CEO, I do not know all the answers. I don't proclaim ever to have all of the answers. And I need to engage with my team constantly so that we design collectively our future. What if I picked up the phone to one of your team? How, how do you think they'd describe you? They would describe me as quite strong, uh, strong-willed, courageous to make decisions, a bit impatient at times. And they would probably say, I wish you could be a bit more tolerant of others. And I do know that I'm somebody who likes to change a lot of things. And I do need others to hold me back a little bit in a way, because we do have to take everybody with us on this. Um, but I also think they'd they'd say it's a very exciting place to work because we do take on new things. We, we do have the courage to do new things. And for people who who love change and driving things, they feel totally empowered to get on and drive what they want to do and what we've set as the agenda. And the last thing I do is micromanage anyone. So you've spoken a little bit about the mentors who are part of your earlier career journey. Who do you pick up the phone to now when things get tough? I do pick up the phone to the same mentor that I've had for decades. Wow. He's not necessarily as accessible as he used to be because he's got busier and he's traveling around the world much more. But I know that if I ever do need anything, he'll set aside some time and we'll be able to touch base. So it's the same, very same person now for all of those years. Impressive. So tell me, what's your superpower? My superpower, I have two things I would describe. One is my desire for change. And that means that I get inspired and energized when we're doing new things. And the other thing is people. So the worst thing that I can do for myself is to lock myself away in a room or go on a retreat on my own, not speak to anybody for a week. That would really disempower me. I get my power and my energy from people and seeing other people grow, blossom, flourish and be successful. So, you know, it's nothing very magical, but my biggest superpower, I would say, uh, is engaging with other people. And tell me, how do you stay so calm and so balanced with such a, I guess, a high-pressured job? That comes with experience and a bit of age. You know, there is something to be said. I've, I've been working now for 36 years, 
And I was not always so calm and collected, and particularly in moments of crisis. And there was one particular crisis 12 years ago where I certainly wasn't so calm and I can remember getting quite hysterical, really hysterical, in other words, uncontrollable, thinking, you know, how am I going to get through this difficult time? But you do get through them. And each time you go through a difficult time and you confront a a big challenge successfully, it gives you the confidence and the courage to to move forward. And when things come along, you take them in your stride. There's always going to be something new, always going to be some new challenge out there. But I I have to say, there is nothing like experience for being able to stay calm and collected. What does success look like or mean to you? I was asked a few years ago about my purpose in life. I had never been asked that question before, and I had never taken the time to think about it, ever. I'd always been busy at work or doing something or being competitive. And they really made me sit back. And I said, do you know what? I think it's to empower women in business. That gives me an enormous satisfaction. Now it's become even broader than that. And I want to empower all sorts of people who might feel slightly in the minority and I think particularly some of the LGBT community and how perhaps they're not feeling part of the mainstream workforce or not accepted yet or people of color um, perhaps feeling still on the outside a little bit particularly in in the professional services financial services sector if I can feel that I've done something to empower those people and give them the confidence and courage to aim high um, and really have the courage to take all of those those top jobs, those senior jobs, I will feel that I have been personally successful. So tell me, Inga, you've done a lot of interviews. What's something nobody knows? There's always something that nobody knows. But you're right, there's a lot about me that you can get, you know, in all sorts of types of media. Perhaps one thing they don't know is that I've always wanted to bungee jump and never quite had the courage to do it. We can line that up for you if you want. (laughs) Thanks. I'm not sure I'm going to look forward to it. But maybe one day I'll have the courage to do it. Fantastic. Well, look, Inga, thank you for speaking to me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've loved your real congruency when it comes to inclusivity, obviously your passion for people, and I would encourage you to take the jump when it feels right. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Work and With podcast series. You can find us on iTunes, 